who's been on Guy's Grocery Game, who's beaten Bobby Flay, and soon, hopefully, has his own uh, TV show on Food Network or uh, Cooking Channel. How are you today, Chef? I'm doing, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm great, man. I'm, I'm glad we get a chance to, to talk again. Uh, I know you've been through a lot in life and everything, but, uh, you know, you had... Uh, you know, drug issues in the past and substance abuse and whatnot, but you were able to turn your life around and become the celebrity chef. So start filling us in, man, you know, from Guy's Grocery Game on. Well, uh, I want to say about six years ago, I had gotten asked if I wanted to participate in Guy's Grocery Games. And I said, no, it wasn't really something I wanted to do. I didn't want to be on TV. That wasn't me. Um, and they kept asking, and finally my wife convinced me to do it. And I remember I didn't even want to go. Like, I didn't want to be there. It was kind of weird. I didn't want to be the whole TV thing. Mm -hmm. And um, even during round one, I almost gave up. And I told myself, I'm just going to finish round one, and I'm going to tell them I don't want to do this. But after I won round one, I told myself, man, I can actually win this thing. And I won. And a year later, I actually told myself I didn't want to ever put myself through that again. A year later, they asked me if I wanted to do Chopped. Once again, my wife, Michelle, convinced me to do Chopped, and I went and I won Chopped, which never in a million years I thought I was going to do, on either show, mm -hmm. let alone go and beat Bobby Flay a couple of months ago and beat Bobby Flay, and now it's just been out of control. I mean, the roller coaster ride really hasn't slowed down much right well all it took was your wife's little nudge and all of a sudden now you're well known and you've beaten bobby flay on his own tv show you're like one of seven people that's done that and i mean i cook southwestern mexican that's my specialty that's what i like to do so is so does he and to beat him at his own game in his own kitchen in his own stadium on his own show like yeah like it's really taken off for me in this last month and a half. And yeah, we might be doing a bunch of TV here pretty soon. Well, that's awesome, man, because I know, you know, with Chop, they set you on a timer, and some people are like, oh, they reset the clock. Oh, there's no way they have 15 minutes to do, you know, an appetizer or whatever. And fill us in on the actual process. It's, it's just like that. Like, there's no, like, for the first round in Chop, you have 15 minutes for the appetizer. And you have to do four plates identical plate. Um, there's no stop, cut, edit, like, hey, dude, let's do this again. There's none of that. Like, once the timer stops, it stops. And if you're done, you're done. If you're not, you're not. And even for the first chef that I went up against on Beat Bobby Flay that I had to beat out to compete with Bobby, you got, they gave us 15 minutes for that first round for me to compete with that other chef, and we still had to do six plates. Wow. And with uh, with Chopped, it's just the crew and the judges, and then with Beat Bobby Flay, isn't there an audience of like 50 plus people? There is, man. There's people screaming and yelling. It's like a little stadium in there. It gets really hot. All this competition gets hot. Um, and there's just people
people yelling and screaming. The judges come up to you and they talk to you and the hosts. And I just kind of keep cooking and talking and keep busy because you only have a certain amount of time. Right. And it goes quick. I mean, 45 minutes turns into 15 minutes. Right. And God forbid one one machine isn't working right or the burner isn't firing hot enough and then you're out of luck on whatever dish it is. Well, we get to walk around the kitchen and look all the spices and make turn everything on, make sure everything's on. And what I noticed on the show, I actually just seen the show like from beginning to end a couple of weeks ago. Um, I went to turn on one of the burners on the B-Bomb Flay when I was cooking up against them, and it didn't turn on, and I reached into my pocket, and I grabbed my lighter, and I flicked it on, and it like nothing. Like, it was just like clockwork. Mm-hmm. A buddy of mine pointed that out to me. He said, that's what stood out the most. He just, you didn't even hesitate. Like, you just reached into your pocket, grabbed your lighter, and lit it. And I was like, yeah. Like, and I don't remember even doing that <laughs> until I physically saw it, and he mentioned it to me. <laughs> And, you know, it's, it, but it's something that people will notice because you just put in the effort and it's like, it was reactionary. It wasn't plotted or anything. So that, uh, that's what makes it noticeable and make people actually like you because you're quick on your feet. Yeah. And that's what my wife says. And that's like, I like to work is I work my best when I'm under pressure, mm-hmm. whether it's the busy season or dinner time, lunch time, like that's when I like to work, and that's when I think I work the best under pressure. And it's funny because I'm super dyslexic and ADHD, and but it just kind of clicks. It just kind of comes natural. I program my brain to work that way, I guess. Huh. So little, yeah. But see, that that's great because you know a lot of people, you know, don't like talking about their dyslexia or their uh, ADHD or ADD, and you're just open with it, and it actually benefits you. Yeah, like, when I was young, I didn't know, No, nobody knew what dyslexia was when I was younger, you know what I mean? Like, I slipped through the cracks, but even, I programmed my brain to where I can um, program menus, I can price out menus, I can tell you how much this costs, and I can break it down in ounces, and how much it costs per pound, blah, 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 because I programmed my, my brain that way. But growing up, I just kind of slipped through the cracks, you know. And, and now, I, of course, five, six years ago, we all figured out. I was like, well, that's what it is. Like, And, yeah, I got diagnosed and all that. And, but I, it kind of works as I use it as an advantage, I guess. Right. Do, do you feel better now that you know for sure? Because, you know, because sometimes, like, you feel like you're not the smart kid in class or, like, you know, you're making simple mistakes, and why can't you correct them? And it just becomes frustrating. And so. was, yeah, and it was so hard when I was younger. And I remember, like, the whole math, six times nine, three times nine, three mm-hmm. times five. Like, it just never clicked. Division never clicked. I never got it. But I was really good at science and history and chem physics. But the numbers just, they just kind of floated around on paper. And I, and I remember people people saying like dude what's wrong like why can't you get it and the whole flashcard thing and all that and right. i was like i don't get it like i i don't get the numbers but now i program my brain so i can hey how much a pound for veal chops oh it's x amount of dollars then i can break it down or price out a menu in a flash mm-hmm. just because i programmed my brain which right. is funny i break down the whole kitchen 
measurements to when I used to break, which which sounds wrong. It's the same measurements as it was when I was selling drugs. <laughs> which sounds bad, but that's how I got it to physically stick into my brain and melt it into my brain. It's where I got it. Like I know there's 16 ounces in a pound, 28 grams in an ounce, and just so many tablespoons in a gallon. Mm-hmm. Like it's just easy. Right. Now, which is funny because I use that to kind of program my brain to do the whole breakdown of the menu criteria. Well, I mean, you know, you did trade one addiction for another, but luckily one's going to sustain you while the other one's going to put you in jail. That's true. Yeah. And I don't think there's ever been a really big, successful drug dealer that's been retired or whatever. Right, that's made it out alive usually and then becomes a chef on top of it. Or they're dead and doing prison life in prison. But technically, that's what right. I should have been. Yeah, but you you got lucky and you got out of all this. And you're Arizona native, now living in New Mexico. Um, what was able to take you out of Arizona and go to New Mexico? You know, I have a family friend of ours. He's known me since I was really young. My brother, my older brother is his oldest son best friend. So my brother is his son's best friend. Mm-hmm. And he's an investment banker and we've known him forever. He's known me since I was little. Um, my mom asked him to bring me to New Mexico with him and get me out of the Phoenix area because that's what I had to do. I needed to get out of there or else it just would have been, I wouldn't be talking to him right now. And so he asked me, he said, hey, why don't you be my personal chef for about six months? We're going to do a bunch of hunting all over the Southwest and go to Colorado, Texas, and New Mexico. And I was like, okay, cool. He can cook for me and my friend. He said, there's going to be about 15 of them. And I love hunting. And I was like, yeah, that's perfect for me. Just to, I'm going to stop right now from one day to the next. I'm done. I'll go to New Mexico for six months and travel and do the hunting thing and cook for him. And that's what I did. And once the season ended, and, uh, so what are you going to do? We, we both ended up flying back into Phoenix. Mm. And he dropped me off at my mom's. He said, so what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm just going to hang out for a while. He, was, he said, why don't you fly back to New Mexico in about three days and take care of my house that I have out in New Mexico and get out of Phoenix, you know, clear your head even more. And, and that's what I ended up doing. And then I met my wife about six months later. And at one point, I gave up on cooking, and I was going to move back to Phoenix, and my wife convinced me once again. We weren't married at the time. We were maybe together a year, and she convinced me not to go back to Phoenix, and she took me to Santa Fe. We drove around and filled out some applications, and I grabbed a job right away running a fine dining restaurant, doing running to be in the grill cook, started out at the bottom. Five years later, turned into the sous chef there at the steakhouse and kind of moved around. And all this started happening here and where we're at now, and it just keeps going faster. And yeah. So, so cooking and your wife are what saved you? My wife, especially. She, she lit that fire under me, and, and she still does. She, she knows me better than anybody in the world. <laughs> and 
chills when something's wrong, when something's good, when something's bad. And yeah. But she's the one that pushed me to get me to where I'm at right now. And, you know, you sit there and, and you've been through all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but like with addiction or with, you know, being with the wrong crowd or whatever else, the only way to truly change everything is to completely erase that part of your life. Yeah, and it's totally up to you. Like, it wasn't up to my... I mean, I'm not trying to say that I'm better than anybody else because I'm not. Mm. Um, I stopped doing drugs and dealing drugs from one day to the next. But it was up to me. Um, And it's up to the person. It's not up to your mom, your dad, your whole family. If if you're not ready and you don't want to physically stop doing, whether it's being in a gang or doing drugs or selling drugs or whatever, like it's totally up to you. It's not up to anybody else. And basically you have to be at rock bottom or living on the street to where it physically hits you to where it's up to the person that he or she wants to stop. And I totally get it. It's hard. The hardest part for me was the hardest part for me was to stop selling drugs. That was the hardest part. Yeah, because you could turn you could turn around a couple of keys in in a weekend, and you know, may, you know, and be driving a new Mercedes on Monday. Oh yeah, and then when I won guys' grocery games, listen to this, it's kind of screwed up. I won guys' grocery games, fourteen grand. Mm-hmm. We're gonna use that money for a down payment on a home. My wife and I, we're gonna pay off. We use four grand to pay off some bills. We got ten grand. We're gonna use that for a down payment on a home. And so we put the money in the bank. You know, we're doing paperwork. We're trying to find, see how we're going to go about getting a good home, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like two, three, uh, about two and a half months after I got that money for me, for the guy's grocery game, they broke into our house. Oh. And literally, and when, and when I say they took everything, literally, dude, they fucking took everything. But it looked like they picked up the house and just shook it around and like put it back. Like there's, it looked like a tornado had ripped through it. But everything from, we had gold bars, engagement rings, and silver coins, and the kids' tablets, and the TVs, and all this, and my guns, they took all the guns. And, and I told myself, I was like, I'm going to go to the bank, I'm going to get those 10 Gs, I'm driving to Phoenix, I'm going to pick me up at least a half a key, bring it back, double it, flip it twice, and have four times as much because that's fucked up what happened. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, but you, it happens every day. Mm-hmm. It happens every day. People get houses get broken into. They lose everything. Um, and I was already halfway from Albuquerque to Phoenix. I was in, almost in Gallup, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I turned around. And I drove back to New Mexico, and I didn't go straight to the bank. I had the ten grand in my pocket. Went, bought everything I could. My wife's digital big old camera that I had just bought in her. Got the kids their tablets. Bought tablets and TVs, and I showed up like it was Christmas. And I spent the ten grand on everything I could buy back for the kids. That was gone. Like they took everything. And. There goes ten grand. And homeowners insurance covers only so much. Yeah, and we're 
renting at the time, and of course we didn't have renters insurance. So. Right. Yeah, a lot of people forget about the renters insurance that that's actually a thing. It is, I know, and I don't know, like that kind of took everything out. I was like, then what am I doing this for? Like, what am I busting my ass for? What am I, you know, what I mean, for somebody just to come and take everything? Right. I mean, I grew up. I mean, yeah, I, I can't. Right. Yeah, I never did it. Can't say I never did it. Yeah, and then the taxes on top of it. So, like, not only did you get robbed one way, you got to still pay your taxes to the government on top of it. Yeah, so there's either way, there's, yeah. there's situations. Yeah. And everything they took from the cameras to the gold bars to the guns, not one item, one piece of anything has ever been recovered, and that's been shit. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You got to report the guns quick because of the serial number and everything. If it's used in a crime, it comes back to you, and that makes it worse. I have a lot of, which is funny. I have a lot of friends that are cops now, and they got there right away, and they would call me every time they would pick up some guns and they were found, and they'd call me and say, "Hey, are these yours?" And it's like, "No, dude, those aren't mine." That's what hurt the most. Right. I mean, there was from AK-47 to AR-15s, hunting rifles. My biggest fear was all those magazines were full. You know what I mean? <sighs> those kids or whoever, I'm, I'm thinking kids because I'm 41. But right. 20, 20, 30 stupid or whatever. Yeah. Just be around with those big bullets. Just, yeah, like, I, that's what I was fucking doing when I was young. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, it just kind of. That's why towards the end I was like, "Well, it's just, a, it's just a cycle. It's just, a, it, it doesn't stop." Like, I was them too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, I was the ones carrying them guns as well, getting shot at, shooting people, robbing drug dealers. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> but look where you are now, man. You turned it all around, and you know. Yeah. Who would have known? Too like, who would have known? Well, I bet your mom is the most thrilled. Oh, yeah, dude. And then when my mom sees me on TV or magazines or whatever, like, yeah, I put them through hell. And now she says, she's like, now, me and your dad, if we ever decide to pass or whatever, like, we know that all of you guys are good and we don't have to worry about you anymore. Right. And then I see my kids and I don't want them, like, doing anything. Right. And how do you explain it to your kids? It's like, look, dad did a bunch of bad things when I was young. I don't want you making these same mistakes. Well, my younger one, 10, 8, and 4, the 4-year-old, she kind of sees me on TV. She just goes that way. Mm-hmm. But my other two boys, and my older kids, they know. But mm-hmm. by 10, by 8, um, when, they, when, we, when they showed Chop, they kind of brought, they kind of brought that into it. And um, my ten-year-old, who was nine at the time, had asked my wife, "Why well, didn't know Daddy was in jail? That, that, this." And I kind of talked to them both, like, "Hey, like, don't think that because I went to jail and I'm where I'm at now, and you see your daddy on TV, like that's how it works, because that's not how it works." Right not cool to go to jail like this. I said, this is an exception. Like, this, where I'm at, is a very, it's not supposed to happen. And 
they watch like Discovery Channel and History and all that, so they're they're hip to everything. Right. But they know that jail's not where you want to be. Like they're and I remember my eight year old at one point said, uh, well, look at Daddy, he he went to jail and he he's he he turned out good or something like that. I was like, Yeah, but it doesn't work that way. Like it doesn't always work. But they get it. Mm. I mean, they get it. And they don't know a whole lot of what's been going on with me in the last month, month and a half. Me and my, me and my wife kind of do it together with mm. the whole Hollywood and agent thing and all this and that. These shows that we're talking about doing. Um, they don't know about all that. Um, they, I don't think they need to yet until it actually happens. Look, this is what Daddy's doing and check this out. Yeah, just so, just to keep them kids, you know what I mean? Just to keep them, like, they're still kids. Right. And, you know, with that move and changing your whole lifestyle and everything else, uh, your cooking style had to change a little bit, too, because there has to be some sort of different flavors between, you know, Southern California, Arizona, and New Mexico. Right. And when I first moved to New Mexico, I didn't know there was, like, New Mexican cuisine. Mm. And I grew up on Mexican food, of course, mom and dad both from Mexico. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the whole French cooking, the techniques and all that sort of stuff. And I learned from three or four really, really good chefs from, from Spain and just really soaked all these good chefs' knowledge the last 10, 15 years. And I kind of did do my own thing, which is southwestern, New Mexican, Mexican, mostly southwestern Mexican. Um, and I don't want, I don't know what my... A lot of my chef friends say um, my style of cooking is refined. What do they call it? Um, fine dining, refined Mexican, mm-hmm. something like that. Because I kind of do my own twist on everything here and there, mm-hmm. um, like anybody else. Right. But yeah, it's just southwestern Mexican. That's what I like to do. Spicy, not super spicy. I like fish and raw fish and the beaches and raised meats from yeah, I mean and incorporate New Mexican flavors as well. With Spanish flavors from Spain. Mm. You know I mean like just kinda keep that that's just me, that's my style I guess. Right, just keep it uh, well you're cooking what you like and then, you know, hopefully people are liking it too, so that makes it even better. Yeah. And I'm not really big on my food. I don't eat a lot of my cooking because and a lot of chefs don't eat a lot of their cooking. We like to eat other people's cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never thought, like, oh, my food's great or whatever. Like, and people are like, dude, this is really good. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, it's all right. Um, but now I'm starting to accept, and I've, there's been a few people on my team that have my wife, that made me realize you have to accept that you are as good that people are telling you, you need to accept that and tell people thank you when they do say, hey, this is the best beef, braised, short rib, mole, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, don't brush it off like they're just blowing smoke up your ass because they're being truthful and you need to accept it now. That, right. And, and now, maybe I am as good as everybody says I am. You know what I mean? But I'm just me and I still cook the way I've always cooked and I know I still got a bunch to learn in the cooking, and I like learning from other chefs and 
other techniques and other flavors. You learn something new every day. You know what I mean? Whether it's with food or in life. Right. Do you think it's a cultural thing and not accepting a compliment? Because I know there's so many different cultures that have a hard time about that. that. Yeah, now that you say that, I think so. And even when I tell my wife, oh, you're so beautiful, and she always says, thank you. Or I'll tell her, hey, you look really nice, or you look beautiful, and I'll smack her on the ass, and she's like, thank you. And when I'll get a compliment, I don't even know if I say anything half the time. Mm-hmm. And now I've been saying, oh, but thanks, you know. Now when it's like, oh, thanks, you kicked Bobby Slade's ass. Like, can we get a picture? Hey, congratulations. Now it's like, okay, thank you. That's not a problem. But mm-hmm. now, I don't know, it's just, it's weird. But I've learned to accept it. <laughs> but that's a good thing, you know, because a lot of people have trouble taking compliments. Yeah. And just like you said, it might be a cultural thing, too. Yeah, because I know. I'm just cooking. I'm just doing my normal routine, you know what I mean? That's just right. Yeah, I'm the same way because, like, when people try to compliment me, I was like, mm, oh, okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and it's like, and you don't know, are, are they blowing smoke up your ass or are they telling you the truth? Right, right. And, you, you know, you just can never tell anymore, but hopefully it's all genuine. Because there's so many fake people. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I've been told, and, and I've, Realized this in the last 30 days. Um, they said, You're my manager and uh, a really good friend of mine, Chef. He said, You're not, you're going to have people that hate you, and you're going to have people that are going to say something about you on the internet or whatever. They don't like food, whatever he said. But, and my agent said, Look at the Kardashians. Nobody likes the Kardashians, he's all, but everybody loves the Kardashians. But right. you're always going to have people that hate you. Brush it off. You you have more people backing you up in a good way than not in a bad way or not like you. And it, and it doesn't bother me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I grew up people not like me, me not like people. Right. Does it kind of mean more oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. It just kinda of, I think it just comes down to like envy. Yeah. The end. No, I don't know. But it's all good, you know what I mean? I don't Yeah, do you think I don't react to it. Right. Do you think it's easier to accept a compliment from a stranger because they don't know you, but they know your food and they know your style, so it's like they have an objective person, you know, they're an objective view because they don't know me and they like all this stuff about me rather than somebody that actually knows you? Yeah, and I've had hundreds of people, wherever I go now, festivals, food festivals, whatever, just coming up to me like, oh, we've been following, you don't know me, but we know you. Like, we've been following you since guys' grocery games, we're so happy for you, and they cry and tell me how proud they are of my story and how proud they are of where I'm at and just people I don't even know and tears rolling down their face and, and that's when it, I know it's really genuine. You know what I mean? Right. And it's weird to accept it and I've accepted it now with all these people that have been following me around everywhere where I've been and what I've done. And it's funny because I'm friends with them on Facebook <laughs> but I've never met them physically, but they know basically everything, where I've been, what I've done, what festival, and hey, that dish looks really good, and when are you going to do another dinner, and it's like, wow, like, I, there's like a fan base. Right. That's something that's got to take a while to get used to, huh? It does, especially like, and I and, and I forget, like, I'll be at the store, I'm going 
I'm, I'm going to go to Sam's later on. And a lot of times it's like, what's that guy staring at me for? Like, what's he, like, and, and me growing up, like, it's like, hey, what the fuck are you looking at me for? Like, and this, that reaction kind of kicks in, that instinct. Mm-hmm. And I forget, and my wife reminds me all the time. She's like, he reminds from TV, like, you're on TV. And it's like, oh, all right. Like, it's, it comes back. Like, I just forget. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, you grew up so paranoid for the longest time doing all the other stuff that, you know, now when something good happens, you're not used to it. Yeah. And everybody's just kind of staring at yeah. a lady last night at the gas station said, are you the chef guy? <laughs> I said, that depends. She's all, you are. She's all, I was so embarrassed to ask you. She said, congratulations. I said, thank you. And it happens all day, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked her, I said, do you want to take a picture? She's like, do you mind? I said, not at all. And she's like, yeah, yeah, let's take a picture. I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't mind taking pictures. Like, I know what kind of now what I signed up for, if that makes sense, even though I didn't sign up for it. <laughs> it's I'm it's a part of the gimmick. I'm going to be me still. And if you want to take a picture with me, I'll be more than happy to. You know what I mean? Like, No, that's awesome because a lot of people aren't like that. You know, they're like, what do you want? Oh, yeah, it was on TV. Okay, who cares? Aren't you the guy to beat Bobby Flay? Oh, yeah. There's a guy at my buddy's little bar that he works at. And he introduced me to a bunch of people there. Nobody really said anything. And we walked to the little pool table area. And I walked in with my buddy Arthur. And there's two guys playing pool. And one guy jumped out of his seat. He's like, you're the chef to beat Bobby Flay. (laughs) Just started going crazy. And uh, he's like, can I get a picture with you? And he says, Arthur, how do you know him? He's like, oh, this is one of my best friends. He's like, no shit. Like, goes crazy. Right. Takes a picture. And he sends it to his wife. And he says, my wife is going to shit her pants when she sees this picture. And it was fucking hilarious. And and it's cool. You know what I mean? I'm totally down with everybody and take the pictures. And I get it now. Like, I've accepted it. Even though I forget about it sometimes. But, but it's What was it like the first time when getting noticed? Because, you know, we talked we talk about, you know, the troubles from before, and you're like, why are you looking at me type stuff? And now all of a sudden you're getting recognized. So, like, the first or second time that it happened to you, like, what was your reaction? Well, it didn't really happen like this with when I won guys' grocery games or chop. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is, like, if I'm in regular street clothes, I've always gotten those looks, either the ladies or hold on to their purse, mm. which is funny because I see it all the time. Or they'll kind of go around me or whatever because I got the tattoos. I mean, it is, it is what it is. Um, but if I'm, if I'm walking in the same spot, same time, same place in my chef coat with my sleeves rolled up still showing the tattoos, I'll get get bombarded as well. This was before the Beat Bobby Flay thing, but now I'm just in my regular street clothes or in my chef coat and People are just recognizing me left and right, like stopping me left and right. It's weird. Yeah. But it's something that's going to take a little while to get used to still. Yeah, because I still really haven't gotten used to it because it kind of goes, uh, it'll slip my mind every once in a while. <laughs> now, when you go home to Arizona or your mom comes out for, say, Christmas, what's the one thing you want your mom to make you? When I go, usually when I go out, when we go out to Phoenix to visit, 
I'll usually only call my mom and let her know, hey, we're going down. Don't tell anybody, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, what do you want me to make you? And I'll tell her to make menudo, number one. She'll have pozole, number two. And then there's always refried beans with fresh cheese, of course, <laughs> and the tortillas. Right. It's clean, like food I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Those four things. And when I get there, I always go to the store and buy a big prime rib because I know that's what they like. My mom and dad love beef, love prime rib. And that's what I cook for them every time I go. And mm-hmm. brothers and everybody will come over and we'll have a big old dinner, mashed potatoes, and everybody thinks it's the greatest. And I won't even touch the prime rib. I'll end up eating still whatever my mom had on the stove from the day and the night. Right. You're like, a lot of, you know what I mean? It's like, man, whatever. Yeah, you're like, oh, man, I made five of these yesterday in the restaurant. I don't want to have any more of this now. Yeah. And everyone's, dude, how'd you make it? How long did you put it in the oven? And what <laughs> what rub did you use? And yeah, now my brothers and everybody know exactly how to make it. Which is cool. well, that's the only way to learn is hands on. Right. Hands on you can learn. Well, I, can I, was, 50 times, I could tell you 50 times on the phone how to cook a prime rib and not get it right. But if we do it once together, hands on, we're going to get it right every time. Yeah, for sure. Now, I always joke with people, like, because, you know, I have friends that love watching all the cooking shows. Right. And, like, it never comes out the way they do it on TV. I was like, that's because they probably left out three ingredients that, so you can go to the yeah. restaurant and eat it there. Yep. And then a lot of people, I'm working, we're starting, we're going to do a couple of cookbooks here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And throughout the years, when people have asked, I mean, I've given a handful of people, like, my recipes with every ingredient in the recipe. Mm-hmm. And usually I'll just give the ingredients. I won't give the amount sizes because it's just too hard. Like physically, like because me as a chef, we just cook and we throw in whatever. Like we don't really, unless we're gonna write out the recipe for that mm-hmm. dish as sauce. We need two people there so one person could just see exactly how much you're putting in and measuring and writing everything down. But. It's hard. Like, I'll just give the ingredients out. But if it's at the restaurant and some regular guest comes in and says, hey, what's the, what's, they want the recipe for such and such stuff. I'll go to the table and I'll tell them, okay, look, this, you're going to need heavy cream, this, 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 and this. And then they ask me, well, how much of each? And I'll kind of just eyeball it out because it's hard. Mm-hmm. And I'll always leave one or two ingredients out just because... I want to use those recipes for a book eventually, you know what I mean? Which right. is happening now. And well, then you don't want them to steal your recipe and then open up their own restaurant. Yeah, or put it in their mom and pop's cookbook or whatever, or win a contest using my recipe or something like that, you know what I mean? Right. And a lot of times, chefs give recipes to other chefs all the time. I'll give my chef friends my true recipes, everything that's in it. I won't leave anything out and if they have any questions they call and ask and I'll tell them exactly what they need to do or vice versa but that's just the whole chef connection thing mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of chefs who really don't really want to talk to other <laughs> chefs which is weird <laughs> right do you ever make any like fusion dishes like because that's a big thing out here in Southern California like there, there's this uh, food truck that's like a mix of Mexican and Korean I think there's a couple of them actually and so, like, you know, different styles. Because you mentioned, like, you like that French style in there and the Spanish style along with the Mexican. 
Yeah, we did. Actually, you said the Korean taco thing. We did one day as a special. We did a Mexican Japanese taco. We did. We fried the wontons as the tortilla shell, and then inside we did barbacoa. Barbacoa beef cheek. We did barbacoa beef cheek, fried ramen noodles, napa slaw, and salsa verde. Wow. And it was good. Yeah. It sounds good. I'm getting hungry now. It was delicious, bro. <laughs> and, we, and, and that's one of like one of the fusions that I've done with like Japanese Mexican. Mm-hmm. But I'll do, there's a chorizo marinara I like to do, and that's Mexican Italian fusion. Mm-hmm. It's a chorizo. Lobster chorizo marinara, which is really good. Um, yeah, I, I can. I like to fuse Mexican with anything. I got invited to a guest chef dinner at a Japanese restaurant here in the next month or two, Santa Fe. Um, super high end Japanese restaurant. I all this wagyu Japanese ingredients, and I'm gonna do a Mexican Japanese six course wine dinner with like sake and Mexican wines. Like, yeah, it'll be. You can totally do. Any kind of fusion, which I love to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love to fuse other cultures with me. Yeah. Do you, you know, some people, like, I hate the phrase cultural appropriation because a lot of people throw that out there. But the blending of cultures, you know, just not necessarily just in society, but in food as well, makes everything even so much better. In any country as well. Like, look at the Philippines. Like, mm-hmm. that's a great example of the Philippines. Philippines have a dessert which they call flan which is flan in Mexico. And flan basically would be a creme brulee in France. But the flan, the sugar is burned on the bottom and the creme brulee is burned on the top. And it's just the most, yeah, like I said, it's so integrated with the whole food cultures and every country individually is doing their whole fusion thing as well. Right. I mean, you go to Mexico, you get the same thing you'll get in New York. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think last time we were in Mexico, we went to this uh, Korean sushi place in uh, in Puerto Vallarta. And that's huge in Mexico. Japanese, Chinese food is huge. Yeah. There's little Mexican, there's little Japanese colonies still in Mexico. Actually, my dad took me when I was younger to a little Korean taco stand on the corner there mm-hmm. in Lima. And they're all Japanese, but they don't speak Japanese. They just speak nothing but Spanish. Mm. And he was selling the best tacos around. And I remember he ended up dying like maybe two years after my dad. I was like maybe 10 years old when he took me. Oh, and, wow. And he said there's just a bunch of Japanese people, like Japanese colonies and Mennonites, German colonies. I mean, Oseki's mm. beer is invented by a German in Mexico. Yeah, see, everyone thinks only, like, Canada, the United States, Australia, New Zealand are all these international places, but everyone forgets that the entire New World from North and South America did the same exact thing. Same, like, Guatemala, Salvador, same thing. Like, Mm -hmm. their food is starting to get known in the last eight to ten years as well, Mm -hmm. especially, like, I love Salvadorian, Guatemalan, like, pupusas. I don't know if you know what pupusas are. Yeah. Pupuserias everywhere, like, there's taquerias now. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's some of the best food I've ever put in my mouth. And I've worked with a lot of Salvadorian, a lot of Guatemalan, a lot of Central Americans to where 
we've done pupusas, but we've done them with chicken mole, and there's your Mexican Salvadorian fusion. And we did barbacoa beef cheek pupusas, and there's your Mexican Salvadorian fusion, and delicious. Like, and who would have known we could have done? We we were gonna do barbacoa pupusas, which no one's ever really done. But and now you got something new for the cookbook. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and, and it works. Like just fuse all those cultures together, and it's so good. Like I love eating pupusas. Actually, I'm probably gonna do that for lunch now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, uh, you know, some people forget. Like you know, they're like, "Oh, this is Latin culture," or "This is whatever culture." and forget that there's so many different countries and influences there that, like, they wouldn't expect, like, Argentina and Mexico to have so many differences, even, like, dialectic-wise and Spanish and then food-wise, and then the immigration population, like you mentioned. But when you get to, say, you know, like, an Argentinian restaurant and you pick something over there that you feel would mix good with, say, you know, like your mom's menudo, like, do you try to make those combinations as well? Yeah, like, say, like, when you say Argentinian, right away I think... Beef and chimichurri sauce because mm-hmm. that's their staple. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and it's funny you said that because we started doing here in New Mexico and with the restaurants here in Santa Fe. Some of the restaurants I've been doing, working at um, green, green because green chili is big here in New Mexico. It's grown here, and that's one of the staples. We we're doing green chili chimichurri, mm-hmm. and we we're putting that on top of the lamb. And at one point. We're getting that green chili chimichurri because we we would do menudo every Sunday in any kitchen I'm at for us kitchen staff because we all like to eat menudo on Sundays. We would make a big pot just for the kitchen staff. And one of the guys from Chihuahua had gotten the green chili um, chimichurri and he put some in his menudo. And he said, "Chef, try this. Like it's really good." And I tried it and it was delicious. Like. The whole lemon and the spice and the sourness, like, it worked together in the cilantro and the mint and the parsley, like, it worked really good. And that's a great combination as well, right? That's Argentinian-Mexican right there. Like, and it's good. Sometimes you got to take those risks, man. Yeah, and, and it could happen by accident or it could be one of the cooks just putting shit on his plate because he's starving and he's been getting his ass kicked all night and he's just putting stuff together, you know what I mean? Right. Okay, I gotta ask you this one since a lot of people don't know this: the difference between cilantro and parsley. How can you tell? You can tell it's parsley. Like if you get parsley and you break it, like either you break the leaves or break the stems and you smell it, mm-hmm. it smells really fresh, clean, spring, summery. It kind of smells like watermelon almost. Mm-hmm. Um, cilantro's more more of a herb taste, more pungent. A lot of people don't like cilantro, and reason being, if a lot of people that taste cilantro say it tastes like soap, hmm. okay, they have they have a low uh, low iron, hmm. and it's and it's been proven and it's science it's a scientific fact that that's why, and uh-huh. um, there's a lot of people that'll take uh, iron pills just to be able to whether eat cilantro, and a lot of people say they're allergic whether. Yeah, that seems like the new thing. Everyone's allergic to everything now. Yeah, everyone's free. But when you're saying the whole Central American, Latin cultures, countries, and all that, in Mexico, we know pico de gallo, which mm-hmm. is 
onions, cilantro, tomatoes, jalapenos, lime juice, whatever. Which the, the herb in the pico is cilantro. But if you go to Peru, they have the same. You, you order pico de gallo there, but they substitute the parsley for cilantro. Mm. And it ch- totally changes the flavor profile and everything, which is still really good because it has the main ingredients as a pico, except for the parsley and the cilantro. And whenever one of my rest, whenever I want to do a recipe which calls for cilantro or, or parsley, I'll always do equal amounts of cilantro and parsley because parsley, I love parsley. That's one of the most underutilized herbs, in my opinion, that people don't use. Right. Now, I love parsley. I eat it all the time, especially, you know, my mom's from Lebanon, so I eat tabbouleh all the time. There you go. Yeah, yeah. just because it tastes clean. It's like, yeah. it tastes fresh. It's like summer, spring, like watermelon like, that's what it gives me. You know what I mean? Like, it's good. It's underutilized, in my opinion. Has there ever been, you know, you've been to a restaurant or you've, you know, been to one of these cooking competitions and someone made something that totally blew you away that you had to rush home or rush to the restaurant and try to recreate it yourself? There's a lot. Like, I love, like I said, I love to eat other people's food, other chefs' food. Um, their pork belly would taste 500 times different than my pork belly. And I'll taste it, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll ask them, Chef, what's in it? Like, what, how, how's it going? And they'll tell me the whole spiel. And it's like, oh, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always that one niche or that one ingredient or that one step or that one technique that kind of gives it that flavor or that texture or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll all mimic we can't no, we can't reinvent food. Nobody can reinvent any dish. Mm-hmm. Um, you can refine it. You can only refine it. You can't reinvent food. You can refine it. I like that. Yeah. That's that's my opinion. Because you can't invent a new steak or a new cut or a new pork chop. You know what I mean? Like you can refine it. You can make it your own. Right. Or stuff or whatever. No, I get you. And like, I know a lot of people that love duck, and I always thought duck was too greasy. But you know, I'm always looking for new ways to try it. Duck's one of my favorite things to eat. Duck, veal, foie gras. Like, duck's one of my favorite things to eat. Whether it's like duck confit, the legs and the thighs, or the pan seared duck breast, like medium, medium rare. And people freak out, like, oh, it's medium or it's pink. The duck's pink or medium rare. But that's how you're supposed to eat duck breast, like medium, medium rare, like crispy skin. It's delicious. Like that's one of my favorite things to eat. And I turned my wife on to oh, I turned my wife on to a bunch of different foods that she didn't know about the whole culinary thing. Mm-hmm. And now, yeah, she loves duck. That's one of my favorite things to eat. Duck. Nice. And it's one of the easiest things to cook. Really? What makes duck so easy to cook? Especially the duck breast, because I like the Adizi recipe for duck breast. Um, get your duck breast, leave the skin on, of course, score the skin. You want to score the skin because you're going to put it skin side down. If you don't score it, it's going to want to, like, wrinkle up and fold over, and it's going to want to, like, bend. Mm-hmm. So that's why you'll see a lot of people score the fish or the duck breast or chicken breast. You know? So score the duck breast, put it in a Ziploc bag. Um, marinate it in maple syrup 
for an hour. Okay. Just get a duck breast and Ziploc with maple syrup, marinated for an hour. Pull it out, salt and pepper. Put it in a pan with a little bit of oil, like on a medium-high heat, not too high. If you want to just leave it on that skin side down for a little while and get it really crispy. And then flip it over, put it in the oven for about three to five minutes, depending on your oven, 350. Mm-hmm. And pull it out, just let it sit there for another three to five minutes, and then slice it. And it's going to be like perfect medium, medium rare. And it'll be sweet and salt. Get a little bit of soy sauce or wasabi, and it'll be sweet and salty. And yeah, it's good, man. Just maple syrup, salt, and pepper. Wow. It's going to get, the skin will get really dark, like to where it almost looks burnt. Mm-hmm. But that maple syrup will start to taste like wood almost. Like it's, it's good, man. It's really good. It's a super simple recipe. And it makes, a, it makes all the difference on that duck breast. Yeah, so I'm going to have to give that a shot. Now i got to go to the store and get some duck. It's super easy, and it's really good. Nice. Yeah, Chef, you were able to turn your life around. You are the exception to the rule, uh, which very few people are ever able to make it out alive, let alone healthy and actually create a legitimate career. Um, when you wake up every morning, how thankful are you for uh, you know for being allowed the second chance? It's usually, I'm usually more thankful when I'm laying in bed and my wife's asleep next to me when I'm just laying there like, wide awake whether TV's on or I'm just there laying in the dark. That's usually when it kind of goes through my mind the most is when I'm laying there and going to bed. Um, I just kind of rethink everything from when I was 13, 14, 16, 17 to when I was 20 and to when I almost gave up on cooking and then I went to move to this restaurant and we started doing this and I met Chef Tom and then Chef James and Chef Russell taught me so much and and look where I'm at now, and technically, like like you said, like I'm not, and I know this, like I'm not supposed to be in this position I'm in now. Technically, I'm supposed to be dead or doing life in prison. And how it worked out, I don't know how the exception happened. I don't know how I'm using my whole criminal background growing up and dealing drugs and running drugs and trafficking guns and getting shot at and shooting people and be, to use that, like, to my advantage, which it's not supposed to happen. Like, yeah, really, it's not really supposed to happen. Oh, we're glad that you're here. Me too. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Have you seen that show with Tracy Morgan, The Last OG? No, I've seen little bits and pieces of it. Little bits and pieces of it. Actually, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, the one where he was a crack dealer, and then he learned how to cook in jail, and then he came out, and he wants to open up a food truck or a restaurant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That might be a little too close to home to watch something like that, though, but... Well, we might... We're talking about doing, like, a documentary kind of movie thing, too, so... Mm-hmm. You never know. Right. And, you know, you said that you had an older brother. What was his reaction, you know... You got clean, you're no longer dealing, and then you not only become a chef. Like, when you first became a chef, was he happy for you that, like, oh, finally my, my little brother's clean and, you know, cleaning up his act? Or was it until, like, got, you got on TV? I got two older brothers and a younger sister. And okay. nobody, and they didn't grow up getting into trouble. You know right. I mean? Like, I did. I mean, I remember at one point I was telling my brothers, 
and their friends drunk at the high school parties or that we were all at. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they would come to me and be like, "Hey, so and so wants to know." If, oh yeah, here you go. Like, right. Um, but we're all. You grow up. You know what I mean, dude? Yeah. We're kids. We're teenagers. We're brothers. You this and that. But when I started fucking up, they were doing good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was always the one doing bad. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. that was my lifestyle. I didn't. They never. They weren't into it. But when I was locked up and getting locked up, like. I'm sure it, everybody was disappointed. You know what I mean? Right. Now, now, it's different. You know what I mean? Now, super proud. Now we communicate. We talk a lot more than what we did before. You know what I mean? Growing up when I was getting in trouble because everything was everybody else's fault. was my fault. You know what I mean? There's all of that. Right. And, uh, but now it's, it's all good. You know what I mean? Like everyone's super proud and we're all doing shit together and, Communicating a lot better, and yeah, I mean, they're proud, and it's weird because who would have known? Right. Who would have known? Yeah. No, and that, and that's great because it's so hard to my see someone turn around. My wife saw it. You know, what I mean, I never saw it. She saw something in me. I didn't. A lot of people did, but whatever. We're here now, and right. we're gonna do it. You know, yeah, and now you've been on uh, Food Network three times. You know, you're talking about a couple of cookbooks, a documentary, you know, possibly your own restaurant, I assume, at some point, or at least, you know. We're going to open up a restaurant in Marfa, Texas. Marfa, Texas. Okay. Where's Marfa, Texas? It's a Marfa, M-A-R-F-A. It's southwest Texas. It's a booming little town. It's really, it's starting to get really big on art and music. And festivals every weekend, and actually Anthony Bourdain did his last show, Parts Unknown, there in Marfa before he passed. Wow. Um, so it's it's start it's going to be a boom in Little Town in the next five to eight years. And I got a really good friend of mine who's an investor, and he's took it upon himself to invest in me. And now we're partners, and we're going to do good things and get a bunch of TV and cameras involved in the restaurant and do a whole other thing on the side with it and nice. make it really successful and help out veterans. We're going to help out criminal background cooks, chefs from Miami, LA, Philadelphia, Phoenix, everywhere. And we're going to come up with a really cool concept for a really good cooking show competition. Nice. So benefit, benefit criminal and cooks, chefs, and all that good stuff. Because everybody that's been in jail, everybody that's in jail has worked in a restaurant or in a kitchen. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or has been a cook. Right. Uh, either you like to cook or you don't, but it's a good, easy way out. You know what I mean? Right. And money. have you been thinking of a good name for it? Yeah, we got a name. We got all that good stuff already. Beautiful. Yeah. You know. It's a really cool concept. It's a really cool name. And, yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. And so you're going to be doing this outreach program to uh, to inmates that are on, on, or the inmates that are about to come out and see if, uh, you know, you can help them turn their lives around instead of ending up in the same old trap? Either if they're in there still and they want to come out, but if, 
it's up to them if they want to do it right. Like, if it, it's up to them if they really want out. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because I've heard the same song and dance plenty of times. Um, I've said the same song and dance plenty of times growing up. Um, there's a point when I was locked up, I've seen multiple guys come in and out while I was still in there, whether it was I was doing six months, eight months, or nine months, or whatever. And it's like, dude, you just left like two months ago. What are you doing back? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he'd get out two months later, three months later, and he'd come back. And it's like, what are you doing back here again? Like, you just left. So we, I don't know if I'm going to be involved in the whole interview process thing for the competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine I might have a little bit to do with it. But ultimately, it's up to them. If they're in or if they're out or if they're working in a kitchen, prep cooking in Chicago at some nice little restaurant, like, it could be anybody. It could be anybody. I dig the concept, man. Yeah, we're going to do 13 contestants. Perfect. Uh, Chef, where can we find you on social media before I let you go? You can find me on Facebook under Fernando Ruiz. R-U-I-Z. Mm-hmm. Or you can find me on Instagram under, right now, I'm kind of on this simple. Um, it's going to be Chef underscore Fernando Reese 77. Nice. All right. Well, Chef, thank you so much for your time. I'm glad we got to reconnect, uh, especially after the first interview. Um, yeah, yeah, me too, man. You know, uh, again, let me know when you bring the kids up to Southern California and take them to Disneyland, man. We'll get together and at least, you know, have dinner or something. Definitely. Um, yeah. You have, this, this is my cell number. Text me so I have your number and then uh, we'll stay in touch and I'll put you in my contact. And I'll be going to California here in the next month or so. Okay, and perfect. Yeah, in the LA area. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much again. Uh, have a great rest of the week, and I can't wait to see this restaurant. And what was the city's name again? Marfa, Texas. M-A-R-F-A. Perfect. Southwestern Texas. All right, Marfa, Texas. So, you know, look, look out for everything. It, it's going to be called Fuego. The restaurant will be called Fuego, but I Fuego. can't tell you what the show. I can't tell you what the show's going to be called. But the restaurant's Fuego. All right, sounds good, man. Looking forward to to Fuego in Marfa, Texas. Hey, man, we're <laughs> multiple. <laughs> yeah, turn it into a chain. Make it quick. Oh, well, we're already talking three, four, so. <laughs> Beautiful. Chef Ruiz, thank you so much. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, you. I appreciate you, too. Thank you.